Hi, and welcome back to The Abnormal Christian. I am Brad Mason. I'm here again with this lady face to my right, Natasha Mason. Hello. And there she is. And we are back again for another episode of The Abnormal Christian. We want to thank you so far for listening to um, to The Abnormal Christian. If you haven't subscribed yet, we ask that you would subscribe and get the notification. As soon as a new episode is posted, it'll update you and let you know kind of what's going on. So this week on The Abnormal Christ- Christian, I'm going to have some uh, speaking problems, it seems. Um, but this week, we're going to look at uh, the, the kind of what is a pastor. Um, we kind of last week, I think we delved into what a prophet was or what is a prophet, who is a prophet, you know, really kind of answer the question, are there prophets in the current age? A um, couple callbacks to that are, you know, not really so much. I think, you know, there's this this line of um, theology and ideology that uh, well, they're called cessationist. It's where Christianity, I think it's First Corinthians, um, there's supposedly a line where the gifts of God, speaking in tongues, prophesying, visions, and all those things are seen by um, certain denominations to come to an end. Um, and so those people are tend to be called cessationists, people who don't think that those gifts still are operating in the world. Um, I'm not one of those people. I'm not a cessationist at all. I believe that um, prophecy is still real. I believe that speaking in tongues exists. I believe that, uh, you know, visions and dreams probably do occur. But I think on the level that they occur, it is a very, very minimal amount. Would you be in agreement with that? Yes, I'm just, uh, to be quite honest, I did not know you were a continuationist. Well, here's the thing, and, I, and I'll tell you this. The reason, the reason for this is because I have read and I have known people who've had um, miraculous acts of God occur in their life, right? Um, we've talked about it before on the podcast, miracles that happen in the world. Um, and, and it doesn't mean, okay, so let me go back and, and quantify speaking in tongues real quick, because that's the Please. one, that's the one that tends to hang people up. People are like, you believe in speaking in tongues? Yes. I believe in speaking in tongues in that every tongue that is represented in the scriptures, you cannot find one passage in the scripture where you hear or read an angelic tongue. It doesn't exist. So when people say speaking in tongues is speaking in the tongues of angels, we don't, you don't know what that is. It's not in the Bible. It's not in there one time. Um, we see on the day of Pentecost that they were speaking in tongues. And what does that mean? It means they preached the gospel and every man heard it in his own language. So I do believe um, that there are certain situations and instances where there's someone who is preaching the gospel in English and God may translate that into someone on someone else's hearing and understanding into their language. That can occur. I do believe that is an, that's speaking in tongues or that the person is speaking. Today, like, yes, I actually, okay. absolutely. Um, because God can still do the same miracles he's always done. Can he not? I wish I could see. Yeah, I'm looking at her. I'm giving her the up and down like, huh? Can he, can he not? Can because he not? he's always like, well, you think God is sovereign in all things. He is. He's absolutely sovereign in all things. And he, he changes not to what the scripture says. He doesn't change. Um, Christ was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago. Are we going to be raised from the dead? Yes, absolutely. We get the same resurrection he got. Um, the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Will we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. So when I look at uh, current, when I look at those things in the Bible and I say I, I believe they continue, I don't believe they continue in the sense that the world and the church today believes in them. I don't think it's the Pentecostal version 
the Shyamala Hamala. Cor- correct. I, that has nothing to do with nothing. You you know, that Shyamala Hamala Ramada, that, that's not speaking in tongues. That's You're not going to show me Shyamala Ramala in the Bible somewhere, and I'll agree to that. But that's not in there. It doesn't exist. But that, um, when you say, I believe in speaking in tongues, that's what people think. That is what people that's think. That's what people think like, in their brain reference. Right. But what I'm talking about is a biblical version, right? Uh, okay. I'm well, not talking about. I wish you would have led with that because I was a little stunned there I'm for not, a second. I'm not talking about the extra biblical, the nonsensical stuff that doesn't edify the body of Christ. It doesn't glorify God. It just makes you look like a crazy person. It doesn't. I, I don't. I'm not going to say that the miracles of God cease to exist. People still get healing. People still, um, there have been instances, and I've known people who said that they prayed over someone and they they arose from the dead. I Whether you can disagree with that all you want to, but that person's alive. So I don't, whether they were dead or not is not up to me to ascertain. But I know someone who makes this claim. Um, a man was electrocuted and was his heart had stopped and he had died and this person prayed over him and that person came back. Now, whether that's a natural reaction to the, bi- the body, right, restarting or whether God did that, I don't know. I can't make that assessment. Okay. <laughs> but, but I do not, I, I am not a cessationist as in that all those things stop, that God does no miracles, that no one is healed, that there is no, there's no miracles of God. I don't believe that. There are miracles of God exist in the world today. Mm-hmm. But that really goes back to last week where we were talking about prophets, um, false prophets. You know, the Bible wouldn't warn you about false prophets if there weren't real prophets. It wouldn't say beware of the false prophets who were coming if prophesying had ceased. It wouldn't say you need to watch out for the false prophets. Well, if I'm watching out for false ones, that means there has to be true ones. Are there? I don't know. I've not met any. Haven't heard any. Don't know of any. Um, but that's that's the assumption. For there to be false ones, there has to be true ones. So you know, kind of that deal. Anyway, so this week we're we're not that's that's a recap. I feel like we were rabbit trailing there for a second. Well, we're we're off the cuff this week. We're not really super you know prepared. I don't think. I think we're we're pretty prepared, but not super prepared. Mega. Um, so this week we're looking at uh, what is a pastor. And this is a loaded question. This is incredibly, uh, incredibly loaded question. And I, so what I want to try to do is I'm going to try and take us back a little bit um, through the history of the church, if I can, in my own mind and get it out in a way that people can understand. And so that Natasha can jump in here and say, no, no, or yes, yes, either way. So she can give some insight too. Um, but the pastors, as we know them today in the church, um, the head office of a pastor, some call it a bishop, some call it, uh, a priest, right? Um, that I, I would, th- uh, number one, I would say off the top that calling someone the priest is the wrong idea. I think that's the wrong, that's the wrong nomenclature. That's the wrong word to use for the leader of the congregation. They are not, I mean, in, in technically in the sense that anyone who believes in Christ is now part of that priesthood. We're all priests. That's what the scripture says. There is no one priest except for Christ himself. So when we look at the, the leadership of, and I'm going to use the talk a bit about the Catholic church in this episode. Um, when you look at the, the, the Catholic church and they have that structure of um, priests and bishops and um, cardinals. cardinals, they go all the way back to the Pope. So there's this, there's this headship that goes from the Pope down. Um, and you do not, you don't find Pope in the scripture. There's no, there's no supreme representative of God other than Christ on the earth. Um, we've talked about the Pope before where he says he speaks with, he's the vicar of God, which means the voice of God. He believes he's the voice of God on earth. And that is not biblically accurate. That's not in there. You're not going to find that anywhere. 
Um, I don't care if they try and dance back to Peter all they want. It's just not in there. Um, so when we look at the, you, you kind of go back to the Roman Catholicism because we can't sidestep it. The Messianic movement that I, that I believe, uh, you know, I'm part of the Messianic movement, we kind of sidestep church history and want to go right back to the top. I mean, I want to go right back to Peter, Paul, James, and John. I want to go back to the establishment of the congregation. I want to go back to Yeshua Mashiach. I want to go back to the old way of worshiping the Lord. How did they do it? That's where I want to go. But mainline Christianity um, has really been a descendant, and there are some Baptists who will disagree with me, um, but it has been a descendant of the Catholic Church, right? So the Catholic Church comes along, comes out of Rome, uh, spreads their gospel, spreads the gospel, whatever version there, to the world, either through persecution or through, um, you know, or preaching. I mean, it, it kind of goes the two ways. You come down to the 1500s, you have Martin Luther and his um, nailing the thesis to the door, which really sets off the Reformation period. And out of the Reformation, you uh, there were five major denominations. I told Natasha this. I did research one day on this because I was really curious. And like five major denominational structures came out of the Reformation. And those people were called Protestants. Um, so the Protestant Reformation were your Baptists, your Presbyterians, your Methodists, your Wesleyans. Um, it, it spreads into your Mennonites, into your Amish, um, into those people, your Lutherans. Um, so it, there's all these different groups and denominations that come out of that. And then from there, it, it breaks down even further. You get your Pentecostals, you get your, um, your Millerites, which lead over into Jehovah's Witness. You get all these different groups that are coming out of this, this Reformation period where um, they were saying salvation is by grace through faith. And it's not by um, buying your way to heaven. It's not by your indulgences, purchasing those, paying for somebody who's in a place that's called purgatory that doesn't exist. Purgatory is not a real place, people. It's not real. doesn't exist. There's no purgatory in the Bible. You can't find it. It doesn't exist. So the, the, that's Christianity in a nutshell. It comes down through the Catholic Church. It breaks off into Protestantism, and the Protestants go their way. And they tend to spread the gospel in a more reflective way of the Scripture than I think the Catholic Church did. Um, I would say, you know, you look at the Dark Ages and... Um, where the, the Catholic Church was prosecuting people who didn't believe, they were burning them at a stake. I mean, a lot of the early reformers were were killed, were murdered, um, because they would not capitulate to the Catholic Church, what the Catholic Church wanted, and, and which was ultimate power, ultimate authority, because they believed they were the ultimate voice of God, which is, it's not remotely accurate. And this is why they didn't want people to have the Bible. They were afraid if you could read the Bible and you knew the Bible on your own, then you would be able to come to your own understanding of what God had said. Um, and because of this, they wanted to keep the word out of the common man's hands because if the common man got a hold of it and he could read it, you would realize that grace comes by faith and it's through Christ and, and he is our high priest is what the scripture says, Christ. And it says, call no man father except the one in heaven. It tells us not to call him that, but you know, but here we have the establishment of father so-and-so and um, all these different religious icon iconography things they took from um, the Bible and, and really built this kind of systematic church around it. Um, so really we come to the question of what then is a pastor? Because uh, for, the, for the Protestant churches, which are all your denominations, whatever denomination you are, your church probably has a pastor. 
Um, there's going to be somebody who leads that congregation. Um, when a pastor leaves a church, from my own experience, there tends to be a period where the church will go through uh, searching. They'll go through reaching out and looking. Um, depending upon the organization you belong to, I was in the Christian Missionary Alliance for a while. Um, I had a pastor leave, and so they went to the CMA, and they said, hey, we need a new pastor. So they start sending itinerant pastors to that church to preach to try out to be the pastor. Um, and so you, you would stay, it would stay within the realm of that denomination. And I think that's how denominationalism tends to work. Um, you don't have a Pentecostal guy jumping over to a Baptist church and a Baptist jumping. Sometimes you do, but it's generally not the way it works. Um, because each denomination sticks to its own set of rules or understandings from the scripture. And the question is, what is the qualification of a pastor? What is the qualifications that are set forth for a pastor? What does a pastor look like? What should they do? Um, now, I will, I will admit I'm not a pastor, never been a pastor, not quite sure that would be my thing. Um, I, I love to preach. I love speaking about the Word of God. But I think uh, a pastor, number one, I think we have to go to um, the Scripture, but I think we've got to look at Abraham, right? Abraham is the father of us all, and one of the greatest things that was set down um, in Jesus, his own understanding was, um, it was the servanthood of Abraham. Abraham, his tents were always open, his door was always open, he was always willing to let people in, come and visit, he was willing to take in the stranger. Um, we see this in Christ, when Christ says, I've not come to ser be served, he didn't come to serve, well, I'm sorry, he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. Um, and we see this in the foot washing, right? That they, no, no, don't do that. But he washed their feet. It was one of the grimiest things you could do. Um, but it's this idea of servanthood. So I think first and foremost, the pastor has to have that servant heart that he wants to, he wants to have the spirit of Abraham. He wants to be open to helping people. He wants to be open to leading people and guiding people in truth. Um, I don't think um, if you find a selfish individual, uh, someone who doesn't have time for other people, someone who um, their life is built around their own fame, right? That's That should not be a pastor. That's not someone who should be leading a congregation because they've not walked in humility and humbleness. And this is, you, you say, hey, maybe Brad and Natasha, y'all, we're not qualified to speak on this. Well, I think we are because it's the body of Christ that is supposed to nominate who is going to lead the congregation, right? It's the body of Christ should absolutely know better than anyone um, who we want to, to lead the church. And I think a lot of times this is left to deacons, right? So church, ordinary church, people don't get involved in this, this the minutia of it, and they leave it to the deacons. And the deacons go and they read their Bibles and they study, and then they bring in the pastor and they question him. And if he passes their 15 questions, then the deacons will make a recommendation to the body of the congregation. Um, and so then that pastor would come in. So um, I think we're really wanting to hit on this, too, is because in this day and age, um, pastors are quitting left and right. Preachers, preachers are out there. Um, the, the, there's, uh, there's a difference between a preacher and a pastor, right? So the preacher is someone who's preaching the word of God, can do it anywhere, and they don't have to shepherd or they're not, they're not taking people underneath them to train them. Um, but a pastor is someone who is, is trying to shepherd that congregation within the context of sheep, because the Bible puts us that way and it puts us in the shepherding role, right? So last week we talked about there's the local shepherd who's over the congregation and then there's Christ who's the great shepherd and the great shepherd is coming to, to gather us all to himself. But in the meantime, there will be leaders of these different congregations and it's their job to shepherd the people. So in the, in the realm of the shepherding and the sheep, um, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, let's get you involved here. 
Because <laughs> you're like pontificating for a while. Well, I was trying to cover through uh, and get a real good understanding of where we're kind of going. Well, I think a pastor needs to be a guardian to be looking out for um, pitfalls or dangerous things and to almost stand guard at the door of the body of Christ to not let things that would harm that body in amongst the people. Oh, I think you're right. So in the, in the idea of keeping sheep, right, in, uh, in the old days in Jerusalem and, and all about Israel, the shepherd would bring the sheep in at night and he would put them in a um, kind of a holding pen area and there would be either a gate or a door there and he would sleep across that gate. That way um, nothing got past him to go get the sheep and none of the sheep got out. That was kind of how they managed that when they put them when they brought them in. Now in the fields, they could get taken away, but um, but he would bring them to this place of safety and he would sit there. And, and I think this is the same thing with the church or congregation, whatever you want to call it. I think that um, if your church has hired someone to be the pastor of the church, he has to do his due diligence to make sure that what comes into the church is, it doesn't even matter if it has a cross stamped on it. I don't care if it's been rubber stamped by your local Christian radio station or if it's being sold at the bookstore down here on the corner of the Christian bookstore or, or Amazon, that pastor has to be careful about what they're bringing in. And I think uh, that's what you're talking about, right? Um, this idea that we're just going to, as long as it sounds Christian, we're going to do it. Right, because, you know, I think most pastors know whatever denomination that they're in, they know generally the right um, theological standpoint of that denomination and can, you know, kind of stick with that. But if it's something outside of that, they just, it's like they give no thought to it or discerning on whether this is a good thing or a bad thing. Oh, well, it sounds good. We're talking about God. So how can it be wrong? And it's just, to me, it's dangerous because you, you, you can't just let anything in. Because once you do, there's going to be Christians who think, oh, well, I heard it at church, or my preacher was there, and so he seems to be okay with it. And so let me go Google Bethel Church. And let me, and then so you go on there, and if you have any understanding of what a heretic is, then you're going to find fairly quickly that that isn't a heretical church. Sorry if I'm hurting anybody's feelings, but it is. Anybody? <laughs> no, no, I'm just giggling because we. I have a friend who listened to the podcast, and he's like, ah, it's not a good podcast without hitting on Bethel. So. I mean, if, if the leader of your congregation says that God or Jesus was not deity, that's a problem. Uh, no, absolutely. I agree. I think that's uh, I and, and I, I, I think a couple, maybe a couple months ago, I talked to a gentleman who was kind of through Facebook and we got to chit chatting back and forth about the deity of Christ. He rejected the deity of Christ. He was uh, supposedly a man, messianic believer. And I was just, I, I, we went through why he, he didn't believe that Jesus was deity. And I went through why I believed he did. And honestly, after we got done with our conversation, I even had more reasons to believe from more that I studied and found. And, but on the surface, had I not known this person,
person, you would say, oh, we're just going to fellowship. We'll get together. They claim to be a, a believer like I'm a believer, you know, um, and without looking deeper, without really challenging someone, you find out that nah, you don't really kind of believe like I do. You know, Because if you don't believe that Jesus is deity, then how do you believe in the Trinity? Like, I, but, And they don't, he didn't. He didn't believe in that either. The Trinity's not a thing. It wasn't a thing in his opinion. But I think if you sat down, you know, Susie Homemaker, who listens to Caleb and says, this is, uh, who believes this? Like, is this a believer or a non-believer? And you just put forth some just general statements. Um, this person believes that Jesus was just a good guy. Right. Uh, living in right relationship. Right. And that's why he was able to do these things. But he wasn't deity. Right. Oh, well, clearly that's someone who I think that they could discern that. But what do you? And then if you were to come back and say, "Oh, well, that's Bethel," and they sing, "Your goodness is running after me, God," and blah 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 blah, and nonsense. I'm sorry. I'm you gonna, okay? I'm no. I'm just just <laughs> gets on my nerves. But, okay, that's fine. But we're not talking. We're really talking about a pastor. What is a pastor? Well, he needs to know. You don't need to let that stuff in. I don't care if 99 percent of your people are saying, we want to sing this song. We want to sing this song. You need to be up there preaching about why we can't sing this song. Well, I think it goes beyond that, right? I, I don't think it's... it. You're right. It needs to be a preaching as to why we don't sing X, Y, and Z. But it needs to be from the perspective of, here's what the Bible has to say about it, right? I mean, it can't be that I don't like it. I don't like those people. We're not singing that. It needs well, to be. Well, you just don't like contemporary music. Correct. It That's needs to not be, the issue either. No. It needs to be a more of an understanding as to why we don't. Because there's a simple, there is a division in the scripture. I'm going to tell you right off the top, and we've talked about this before. Denominationalism is not in the Bible. You're not going to find denominationalism in the Bible. You're not going to find Presbyterians Baptists, Pentecostals, Methodists, you don't find, and that is division. And I'll say that it's inherently wrong division. We're not supposed to be divided that way. We're not supposed to be split up with our own understanding of what God's word says. But unfortunately, that's how it came out. We got to the end of the day where people couldn't get along. People didn't like, well, you're immersing people in the river to baptize them. I want to throw some water in their face to baptize them. And these two people couldn't get along. So they kind of split, right? Um, that you have certain... And now without getting deep in it, you have the, your people who are Calvinist and you have your Armenians. I don't even know what the Armenians believe, but it's obviously the opposite of what the Calvinists believe because they, they argue all the time. Um, but you have the, but that's not what it was supposed to be. We were not supposed to be divided on that level of, um, personal interpretation. We're supposed to read it, do what it says and be believers in Christ. And anyone who rejects the Christ as Mashiach, as Messiah, as Jesus, Savior of the world, as King and ruler, they're not a believer. They're just not. And they, we have no fellowship with them. But we have fellowship with those who the Bible says are called out, sanctified, elected believers who have been born again through the Holy Ghost. That is our family. And we're not always going to agree on that stuff. And we're not always going to agree on every doctrinal position. But there are some people out there who have no doctrinal position that we should be fellowshipping with. We shouldn't be. There's no reason for us to deal with people who believe in spiritual witchcraft. It just shouldn't happen. We shouldn't believe in people who believe in, I mean, just nonsensical things. Grave soaking. Well, I think just since we're on Bethel, since we're on that, the preacher, Bill Johnson's wife died of cancer like a month ago. If what they were preaching was true, why didn't he heal her? Why didn't he raise her from the dead? Because what he's saying is not true. It's, it's, 
plainly obvious. He wears glasses the man can't even heal his own eyesight. And we're supposed to believe that he is teaching people at his school of witchcraft and wizardry, Bethel School of whatever it is, nonsense, that he's teaching those people how to do this. Go and heal the sick, raise the dead. You couldn't even do it for your own family. And I'm not trying to say... I'm not trying to rub that in. I'm trying to make a point that when people are believing and teaching things that are not biblically accurate and you're going to align yourself with them, you better be prepared because some of that is going to rub off on you. It's going to rub off on your thinking. It's going to rub off on your understanding of who God is. That's the gripe. And that's the biggest. Well, it's the same concept of um, woke ideology in the schools. Right. You start teaching it slow. You You get people used to that. And not recoiling from all that. And then they grow up. And then they're like, well... And then it becomes a division and a splitting of the church, regardless of what the Bible says about it. Because that's not what it's about. It's about your feelings and... Well, these are nice people, and I don't understand. Why why can't we be friends with? And why can't we see being friends with... And affirming that lifestyle Correct. I mean, is totally two different things. Right. I have a, you know, I have, Natasha knows I, has, I have a friend who is in that lifestyle. Um, uh, known this lady for years. She's, a, she's a, not a great friend, but she's a friend. I've always considered her a friend. And really for the purpose of the gospel to show Christ to her. Um, and she has openly rejected that and she openly rejects it to this day. And she knows that. And, and we've talked, we talked about it before, but in that understanding, I have to have an understanding of what the division is between me and that person. I need to know for myself, here's the dividing line. Here's what I, I won't do and what I will do. Would I go to your wedding? No, I won't go and do that. That's not, that's, that compromises biblical truth and doctrine. I won't be a part of that. You know, I mean, and even at that, we're currently just friends through texting now because we don't work together anymore but it's this idea that there is and people can be upset about it but there is a separation between the the body of christ and the world there's a division a wall that god has put up through the holy spirit that says you no longer belong to that and you no longer belong in that and that should not be what you desire um, and because that's not what we desire, we're go- there's always going to be this division between the two. And I think that goes back to the pastor defending his church, separating his church. A leader of a congregation should be following after Christ, following after God, and seeking all those things first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If he's doing that and he's training, don't don't listen. If you're a preacher and you're listening to this, I'm going to tell you right now, one of the biggest areas that the church fails is training the body of Christ to know the scripture. That is one of the biggest areas where I see failure time and time again. People sit and they go to church for 30 years and they do not have any understanding of justification, sanctification. They got no understanding of being separated from the world. and They may not even know what the terms even mean. Correct. And I think that's an opportunity as a leader, if you're leading that body of Christ, get in there one Sunday and say, we're going to go over these things. We're going to sit down and talk about grace. We're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about the omnipotence of God, the omniscience of God. You know, we're going to talk about the things who define what defines Christ in in the in the scripture. What does the word of God say? You know, we saw how he came as a lamb, but then in Revelation 19, I think as Vodi likes to say, it's one of his favorite passages of who Christ is. You see this conquering king. He's coming in to to wreck things. Yes. 
So it's this idea that there's this, and not only are you, um, not only as a pastor, should he guard the flock, but he should also take them where there's green grass. His job is to take them out by the cool water, get them in the green grass, get them fed right in the word of God and give them that clean water of the Holy Spirit. You know what's flowing from the throne of God, that grace and mercy that trickles down, that, that covers all believers, that, that really just that sweet time, the moments that you can have with Christ, but it's through his word and his understanding. And I think when you, when you see that the, the pastor of a congregation is more akin to a shepherd, right? Um, then there should be this firm defense, but there's also this, um, this humble you know, this humble relationship. Christ was humbled in his whole life. He was a humble man. Um, he stood for his father's house. He stood on the word of God. He stood against the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but he was humble in the way that he did it. He was all, he could have had all power and authority. That's what the devil, you know, they asked him, won't you come off the cross? You could command legions of angels to come and take you off that cross. You're the king. You could do that. And instead he dies in humbleness and, and alone on a cross. But I think going back to your, um, you know, teaching the body of Christ about the Bible, terms, beliefs, it's also, you know, yes, he's he's to be our guardian, our overwatcher, you know, but he, that one person can't be everywhere. No, no. So you're wanting to teach your sheep right. how to put on the armor of Christ if they need to, like if... You and your sheep buddy need to walk down the you know the path to somewhere else, and your preacher's doing something else. That you can you can be able to spot things that can hurt you Correct. and be like, mm, I see that over there. Let's walk this other path over here. Well, and, and the crazy thing is, in the realm of Christianity that I, I grew up in for years, you could almost spot the bad things by how quickly they were they caught on. How quickly the church um, grabbed a hold of it and brought it in. Um, how quickly, I mean, whether it was music, whether it was um, the way we dress, whether it was the, the things they do in the church, whether it was how the church looked on the inside, how the church looks on the outside, the name of the church. Um, you could see how quickly, you could see what was most dangerous for the body of Christ because people would snatch onto it real fast. If something became trendy or catchy, the church would just, ooh, everybody wanted to say the word thrive. No, I'm not saying thrive's a bad word. It's just an example. But it became this thing where for two solid years, everybody's saying thrive, 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 thrive. And you're just like, oh, please stop already. But that's the catchy nature of this stuff. And so the the, the problem is, is that, you know, it's like Kool-Aid, right? Kool-Aid's good. I love grape Kool-Aid, but it's like a 99% sugar. And sugar that much is bad for you doesn't matter if it tastes good. And so what happens is, is in the body of Christ, and you can, just so everybody understands, so we're all on the same page, there is a Christian marketing business empire that is out there. Their job is to make money off of Christians. It's not to give you the most godly things in the world. It's not to lead you in the most Christ-like life you can have. It is to make money off of those who claim to be Christians. Businesses do it. They put the little fish on there. That is, if you're a Christian, you don't have to do that. But they do that because they want other Christians to see it to support their business. That is a marketing tool. That's how we, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think that, you know, uh, 
doing business with other Christians is great, but in the sense of this um, writing books and and music and theology and all these things that come down from these, uh, you know, I was writing a book a couple of years ago in TBN, the, the TV network that I don't like. Um, they have a automatic submission. Well, hey, you know, they were sending me emails. Oh, we'll, we'll publish the book. Well, and I'm like, no. I don't care how well I wrote it or whether I thought it was 100% biblically accurate. I still wouldn't publish it with those people because they're not, I don't think their, their ministry lines up that way, but they push stuff out and people don't ever look to see where it comes from. They're like, oh, well, that's TBN. All oh, that must be Well, okay. it's like 95% the world and 5%. Let me sprinkle a little Jesus on it. And Christians, I'm telling you, will get on up to the table and shovel that stuff in your face before you even know what's going on. Correct. And then we're let down or we're hurt because... Um, I can't believe they deconstructed their uh, faith. The guy who wrote the book about dating, I don't even know his name. I can barely even remember the book off top. He said uh, it was a, a book about the reasons why he gave up on dating. Um, and then now he's divorced his wife and he's denounced his own book that sold millions of copies in the church, you know, because, oh, this is one of the greatest things ever written. But then he, he went back and said, nah, I really don't believe all that, you know. <laughs> so where does that leave the Christian, right? So where does that leave the average sheep, the person who goes to church? We are sheep. That's who we are. Um, it leaves them hurting because they really put their confidence in someone. We talked about that too, not putting our confidence in men of the world, but we all do it to some degree. We all look up to someone. Um, and so the pastor has to be an honorable man. Now, listen, you go to the, you can go to first Timothy, second Timothy, you can go to Titus and the qualifications of a pastor an elder bishop leader, all that stuff is there. It's going to tell you in the scripture, detail reasons, um, who they should be a husband of one wife, um, uh, they should not be given to wine. Um, interestingly enough, I think the deacons were like, eh, he shouldn't be given to much wine. Um, so eh, there was, I always called that. It's kind of funny. The pastor is not supposed to be a drinker, but the deacon can be a little sippy. Um, but anyway, so just looking in the overall, I mean, we're definitely not going to flush out the whole thing of who, what a pastor is today. Um, but really kind of wanting you to look at your pastor. Is it somebody that you look up to? Is it somebody that you could ad, uh, admire in a Christ-like fashion, not idolize, but someone that you say um, can lead you down that right path to say, this person is preaching the word of God. You know, one of the things I love about my wife and um, what we do when we go um, to church is like, if we listen to somebody preach, we got our Bibles out and we're looking and we're following along. And there's sometimes you can look around and people don't, they don't have their Bibles out. He'll say, Hey, I'm going to read a passage from here and I'm jumping there. I want to, you we're going there. Let's read it. Let's see it. Um, and then I, you know, after church, we'll have a breakdown on the way home in the car. We'll be like, Hey, so what'd you think about that? What do you think about what he said? He skipped verse 17. I don't know why he skipped verse 17. Oh, because it didn't fit the narrative of what he was preaching. Um, and that's not so much now. No, no, no. I'm not talking about current in, in where we're past. going. Uh, but I've heard people in the past. They'll do that. They'll skip. They'll go to one chapter and they'll say, well, let's read a verse here. Then skip over here and read a verse and see that's why aliens are real. And you'll be like, what? I don't even understand what you're talking about. Um, but really getting into uh, a pastor's job. And I'm going to break it in my opinion. And just me speaking specifically um, uh, to me, a pastor's job should be someone who encourages you to know more about God. They should build that desire in your heart. You know, and this is why we love uh, Vody Bauckham so much. When he preaches, it's not that we love Vody. It's that Vody loves God and Vody points to God. And every time that I hear Vody preach, it makes me want to know God more. That's what a pastor should do. 
He should be that guy who's encouraging you instead of um, beating his congregation down um, with church rules, whatever it is, instead of beating his people down and telling them how horrible of a sinner they are. You know, if you've got a congregation that is, is majority converted people and you know this, then there's the edification of Christ that should be coming out. And it should be in such a way that your people leave and they go, man, I need to read more because I really like what he said. I want to know more about God. I didn't know that. That was something I never learned. That was that education and training of the body of Christ. And I think it, it, it's woefully uh, missing in a lot of situations and a lot of congregations. I don't, I, I told you before, I don't think um, education plays two hoots in my own opinion. Um, some people are, R.C. Sproul was incredibly educated. He was a very brilliant man when it comes to the word of God. And in his, in his regard, it played out well. Um, but there are some people, well, Stephen Furtick, that guy's got a master's degree, and I don't think he he, he would lose at tic-tac-toe every time. I mean, when it comes down to the, theological tic-tac-toe, because he is under he, he has the paperwork to say he did some some education, but that doesn't mean a hill of beans when it comes down to preaching. I mean, it just it's missing depth. Um, did you have something? Well, I, I just I had saw something the other day that reminds me of what a preacher should be. Okay. I didn't become a Christian because someone shared about their, quote, awesome church. I became a Christian after someone shared the gospel. Preach the gospel, not your church. Correct. Like, I can't stand how many times people say, invite somebody to church. Because we got to get them to church before they can get saved. That's that's the inference. And that's wrong. No, I agree with you 100% there. I think and we've talked about this before. Um we want to you want to invite people into your congregation or to your church uh so that they if they're not if they're a Christian they'll have somewhere to go. If they're not a Christian maybe they'll come and experience the goodness of God. We that's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time it should be the message should be go talk to your neighbors about the gospel. Go knock on the doors and talk to your friends about the gospel. Talk to the people you work with about the gospel. Talk to your family about the gospel. Um and I understand some people are nervous, right? And maybe they feel like I don't have that ability to speak. Um, and so they invite, that's why they want to invite them to church. But the, 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 the idea is that there are some people in your life that only you can reach. Yeah. Uh, that They will never set foot in a church. Correct. And your pastor will never get a chance. No matter how many times I invited, I have a friend of mine, I, I in my mind, I'm not going to say his name, but no matter how many times I would have invited this guy to church, he'd have never ever set foot in a church, but I had the opportunity to talk with him all the time and reinforce the gospel, reinforce the goodness of God. He grew up in a Catholic, uh, he went to Catholic school when he was growing up and the nuns, he used to talk about how the nuns used to beat him. The nuns were mean and all this. He absolutely rejected the gospel. He rejected Jesus Christ. He rejected all of it. He took in worldliness. He, he was a heavy metal eighties head banging guy. Um, and he, he wanted nothing to do with any of it. He's still to this day. I don't think he does, but I worked with him for probably 15 years. And every chance I got, I would point to Christ. And every chance I got, I would say, you know, Hey, you hear about the man, God is good. Look what he did. You know, even when bad things happened in my life, he knew about it. He would say, well, where's your God now? And I would say, he isn't left. You know, that doesn't mean anything. Those bad things, some of that's my own fault, but I could consistently go and he would never set foot in a church. But when it comes down to the end of the day, he will never, ever be able to say he did not hear the gospel because he didn't go to church. He'll never be able to say that because he worked with people who would tell him the truth apart from a local congregation. 
We're not disparaging that congregation. Um, if you have the opportunity to get in a body of Christ and get with like-minded believers, it can be a very beneficial thing. Um, I think people, we build each other up. That's what we do. Iron sharpens iron. We get together. We encourage each other. But generally, church is not supposed to be about unsaved people. Correct. It's for the believer. Correct. It's for the body of Christ, those who believe. Um, and so, you know, and that's a whole other message, a whole other segment we could do on that um, about inviting people to church. Um, but really looking at the pastor and, and the position of the pastor, um, I would encourage you to go read. I'm not going to read it for you, but I would encourage you to go read uh, Timothy and Titus. Really see what it says there. Um, keep those things in context as to uh, kind of when they were written and to and contextually into what does that mean today. Um, a lot of people misapply that. I showed Natasha a video the other day of a guy. I don't know. He was um, a Pentecostal guy, and he was yelling and screaming about people having beards. He was saying, uh, a man who has a beard will never be full of the Holy Spirit. you know. And I'm like, that's not in the Bible. You can yell all you want. you know. Um, so th And that's the point. Um, just getting up and yelling stuff doesn't really mean anything if it's not backed up by the word of God. Um, lastly, on this subject, I would say um, if you're in a place and you don't feel like um, you don't feel like the man leading is leading in the right direction or he's not uh, using the word of God accurately or truthfully, I, I don't think he's being practically deceptive on purpose. Right. Uh, maybe there's some who are, maybe there's some who are trying to be deceptive. Uh, but if you're in that position to where it, it's not working, you're like, I'm leaving here more upset and angry than I, I show up. Um, I dread getting up and going to, to church. I dread getting up and going to Wednesdays or congregation or whatever it is. If you're dreading those moments, if it's more um, like a chore, Correct. I, I'm not saying give up immediately. I would say uh, pray about it. Definitely pray about it and, and, and make sure that it's not something in your life. Make sure it's not some kind of, there are some people who want to quit because somebody hit on the sin they're doing, right? Well, you know, he mentioned uh, um, shacking up and living with somebody and he shouldn't ever talk about that. He's such a horrible guy. Wrong. Right. Um, so really you have to self-examine and say, is there sin in my life that is causing me to feel this way? Um, and then once you get past that, if, if you still have that feeling of this is just not lining up with the word of God. I think you're on the right track. If it's not lining up with the word of God, then the next step is to say, hey. or, if, or if it's just a motivational speech, yeah, as we don't opposed need that. to a biblical sermon. We don't need motivational speeches. Sometimes we do. Um, you know, when I played basketball in high school, uh, we did. Um, but as an adult, I don't really need that. I, I need the word of God. That's what motivates me. So, you know, you get on there, get on the internet, say, hey, Google, look for a church in your area, find something to go and then visit some places. You don't have to go to every place that you find. You don't have to uh, you know, get on their website. Yeah, that, that is a huge. Let's yeah, let's hit that real quick, real quick. We're going long here. But one of the best things you can do is if you find a church, get on the website and look at it. They'll usually have videos of their preaching. They'll also have um, church statements of belief. You can look on that. If it's a really short belief statement, go to the next or church. Or vague yes. and not specific. Go to the next church. I'm not going to lie on that one. Go to the next church. If you look at their worship service and it looks like the worship service you've seen at 50 other churches, listen to it for a minute and then go to the next church. I mean, you really... Or if they're singing shady songs. Yeah, I mean, that's going to tell you something. I mean, that that's... 
nobody's going to be perfect. You're not, no. you know, how hard it is. And, and you now, if you listen to the podcast any amount of time, you know that I, I tend to go the messianic route, the Hebraic studies, Hebraic roots. I love that stuff. That's me. Um, but I'm not going to a Hebraic congregation right now because there's not one in our area. But we found a, a local congregation that we really like. Um, and that lines up in probably 90%, 95% of our own theological viewpoints. They line up with what we believe. Um, and they these people have a great heart for God. And so we, we actually are enjoying going there. And, and you know... Point blank, they are bathed in scripture yeah. in their sermons. It's all the time. And you can tell that, that these men have studied, are learned, and are intentional with wanting to do the best and fully represent the scripture. Yeah. And I think that's what you want to find. If you want to find a congregation, that's what you look for. Um, look for somebody you know who who is a hundred who who just lays on the word of God completely, um, who stays away from uh, really steers away from like cultural stories. I mean, you use them every now and then, um, but if if it's every every if time you, you know go, more about your pastor's family because that's what he talks about a lot during the sermon, as opposed to Jesus Christ. Might be a right. Just look for somebody who's laid in, in scripture. That'll really help you a lot. Um, you know, and, and these are now, now I, I'm speaking to the world because that's where this podcast goes. Um, this podcast episode has really been, and you're going to sit there and maybe you're in the middle of uh, Angola or China or Indonesia. And you're saying, this doesn't really, I don't understand what you're talking about. This is more American. Yes. This is American Christianity. American Christianity is a, is a real strange thing because of our freedom here. We have the free to go where we go, where we want to go, the freedom to go where we want to go and to worship how we want to worship. And let me tell you, people in this country do that. They absolutely do that. Um, when we talked about the beginning of the, what is a pastor, there are Episcopalians, there are trans pastors, there's lesbian pastors, gay pastors. There's every kind of pastor in this country that you could you could even remotely imagine. There's a church here in the United States form. We even got churches of Satan in this country. Um, so every ideology, everything you could think of, uh, we have, um, and it is it's scary and it's, it's amazing and it's scary at the same time. Um, everybody out there, I think on the podcast before we've talked about everybody out there claims to have been called by God. Um, everybody claims every Sunday, they all claim to have a message that God gave them specifically. You know, he didn't, it's not like, Hey, I'm going to give everybody the same thing to say. I'm going to give this person over here. I'm going to make them talk about how homosexuality is a good thing. Right. Even though the Bible has a different opinion on that. And so we've got those churches here in America where these people are saying, you know, Oh, God told me, God gave me. Um, and our encouragement to you has always been find someone who preaches the word of God, the word of God, first and foremost, not opinion, not cultural relevance, not woke culture, um, but the word of God. And when you find that, you're going to easily be able to discern, um, is this of God or is this not? Is this person of God? Is this person not? Yeah, that's, Listen, a, that's a pro tip there. People tell you all the time, uh, I was called to preach, right? You've heard that one a lot. I've heard that one a lot. And I don't doubt that people are called. The question is, is who are they called by? I think our enemy, um, the devil, I think he calls people into versions of Christian ministry. They look like Christianity and it's only to draw people away from God. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. If it looks like Christianity and it feels like it, well, then it must be. And so people fall for that all the time. And so we have to be very aware 
of what the word of God says, because there are some things that will damn your soul to hell, um, which is the rejection of Jesus Christ. And if you reject who he is and what he has said, um, there is no, there's nothing you can do once you're dead. It's over. And that's not what you want. You want to find somebody who's going to say, hey, man, you know what? We all sin. All, all sinners like sheep have gone astray and everyone into his own way. We've all done that, you know, and we're supposed to repent and come back, turn from your wickedness and turn to God. Yeah, I mean, we were all on the highway to hell. Yeah. Jesus gives us an off ramp to yes. get off of that road. Yeah, because it's not it's not something and we don't, you know, as Christians, we don't take that as um, we do. We did anything. We didn't do a thing. Um, you know, it's, it's this idea that God's saving grace, um, is his own and he offers it to us and, uh, he saves us from who we were and where we were and where we were going. And he gives us a new name and a new family and a new place to belong. Um, and, and as a Christian, and I know we're way long on this, but as a Christian, as a Christian, I want to, um, I don't want the world. I don't, I, I mean, there are things in my life that I have that I enjoy, but when it, at the end of the day, if it comes to losing everything that I have for the cause of Christ, it can all go away. I don't care. I just don't because I don't want the world. When I look at all the things that the world has to offer, they, they shine and they're glittery and it's new and it's great. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't want any of that. What I want is Christ in my life. I want God in my life because in that I have more spiritual spirit. The spiritual life is more important to me than the physical life, the external life. If I, if I'm sick, if I'm healthy, those are things that affect the physical life, but that spiritual is what matters the most. Um, and so for me and for us, I know that's where we're at. So finding a congregation that leads you down the path to desiring God more, that's what you want. You want to find that pastor um, who wants to lead you in that direction. Um, as for that, uh, I know we went along on this. If you can share it with somebody, that'd be great. If you disagree with everything we have said here, if you don't like my voice or the color of my shirt, this is a podcast. You can't see it anyway. Um, you can email me at um, theabnormalchristian at gmail.com. That email does work. I have checked it. Um, <laughs> it's been so long, but you can email us at theabnormalchristian the at gmail.com. You could ask questions. You could have prayer requests. You could send us condemning letters. Um, if you're the Pope and you're writing a letter, yes, I'll pray for your soul. Um, so any, any of that stuff that you want to do there, um, we encourage you to uh, find someone to support, um, give to missions, give to the poor, uh, whether it be your time, your money, your clothing, your food, whatever you can, um, let's be Christ to the world. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus uh, to all the lost so that they might see the glory of God that lives in us and uh, rules over us as king. We will talk to you again next time on The Abnormal Christian. Bye.